Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Not all the white people in here are American. Um, nonetheless, it's great to have you guys. Good morning, church. I know, we're getting the kinks out. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. I know a lot has happened, so it feels like it's mid-morning already. Should I stand back, Yanni, or is this fine? A little bit back. I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of the service, so you might need to, as I walk around. Um, Family, what a great morning to be here together. Um, Kind of coinciding with two things. One, we've got a new venue New location, this is great. Also coinciding with kind of our anniversary as we started meeting together one year ago, just before hard lockdown again. And so it's kind of cool looking back and reflecting on that as well. Um, If you're here for the first time, it's a great morning to be here. Not just because of the new venue, not just because of the series that we're attending, not just because it's our one year anniversary and celebrations, but we've got Krispy Kreme donuts afterwards. (laughs) So it's a great morning to be at Red Door Church. And so if you're visiting, a special welcome to you as well. How great is the aircon in this place? Maybe a bit cold. Vickers Vickers was warning me. He was just warning me beforehand. He's like, you've got aircon and you've got comfy seats. People are going to fall asleep. You better preach a storm. You You better bring your A game this morning. And so I'm feeling the heat and the pressure, even though there is some air conditioning. Um, Yanni is going to move the speakers a little bit and he's going to fiddle with that and that's fine. And as we said, we're in the middle of the series called Worthy as we preach through the letter to the Philippians. And it's based on the central verse in the book, chapter 1, verse 27, which says, only let your lives be worthy of the gospel. And so we're seeing how that is playing out in the rest of our lives. And so it's a phenomenal book to be part of in this morning We're seeing even more practical applications of that in Philippians 2. So, I know there's been prayed and there's been talk and all these things, but let's once again, as we need to get used to the new venue and kids being sorted out WWF style, um, let me pray for our hearts again and we'll dive in. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for community. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your spirit that helps us, leads us, guides us. All of this. Yes, for our benefit. Yes, for our joy, but ultimately for your glory. And so we pray that you would use this time now to do exactly that. Amen. It has often been said that the journey is just as important as the destination. We've heard this in many different places and many different scenarios, and it can be applied to different ways in our lives. But generally, the idea is that we shouldn't be so obsessed or obsessed with the end result that we often forget to appreciate or to enjoy the process of getting there. This can be true of a physical road trip, if you're going down to Cape Town, to enjoy the journey as well. This can be true of your studies, not to just want to finish the the degree, but actually to enjoy the process of being at university. This can be true of your vocation and your career. This can even be true of raising your kids. Trust me, there's times when they're young. (laughs) when you're looking forward to the end result. But it's good to appreciate and to be get stuck in the middle of the messiness as well. 
Because if we only focus on the goal, we actually miss a lot of the gold that's present in the journey and in the process. And secretly, deep down, I think we all know this, but every now and again we need to be reminded, hey, enjoy the process, enjoy the journey, even though it's sometimes painful, this is a good thing. We need to stop and recognize this. And if this is true of so many areas of our life, the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning as Christians is, is this true of the Christian life? This is one of those topics that we rarely speak about as Christians or in Christian circles. So let's run with the analogy of a road trip and you liken it to the Christian life. We often know that there's a departure point, a starting point to go on this Christian journey. And what that means, it's normally when you come to faith, when you become or a Christian and you're being transformed and made into the image of Jesus. This is normally at conversion. When you hear the good news of Jesus, you receive the good news of Jesus, you recognize that you're a sinner, you trust in the work of Jesus, and you find your identity in him. Similarly, to a departure point, there's also a destination where Christians are going to. We know that spending eternity with God is a big point. This is important. At long last, when Christ returns, we will be finally transformed into this new image. We won't have any more sin. There will be no more brokenness, no more tears. Everything will work as it's supposed to, a new heavens and a new earth. And we're looking forward to that. The departure point in Christian circles we call our justification, as we justified by faith, we're Christians. The end result we often call our glorification, once we're glorified with Jesus. Then we have this middle bit, <laughs> where we're right now, the now not yet bit, where we're already transformed and already called sons and daughters of God, but we're not there yet. We're not fully made into the image of Jesus yet. We're still on our way to the new heavens and the new earth. It's this road that we're being constantly made more to look like Jesus. And the theological term for that is our sanctification. Otherwise known as how we are being made holy. Your holiness. This is the last days. And so the question is, does this journey matter that we're on right now? We know that Departure, we know destination, important. But is the sanctification bit, how important is that bit? And what should we get out of it? Well, I think that's part and parcel of what this letter is about. Paul keeps on reminding the Philippian church, and Red Door today as well, that make sure that you live these lives worthy of the gospel, meaning living lives that are holy, reflecting that which we have received in Christ. And last week we saw that. We saw how Jesus' life is the motivation to live that particular way. And his life is also the model of how we should live in that particular way. And again, I think most of us would agree. We would nod our heads in appreciation and say, yes, this is what is expected of a Christian. We are to continually live more in light of who Jesus is and we should look like him and we should allow that a truth of the gospel to change our lives so that we live more holy. But is that all that matters? Is your holiness and the way that you live your life the only thing that matters to God? The only thing that's expected of this journey, that our lives are holy? Or is there something more to living lives 
worthy of the gospel simply than just looking the part, looking like a good Christian. Well, contrary to what most people would probably think or what most people would probably think of Christians is that one of the things that should be present in the Christian life and should mark this journey that we're on is joy. This is the theme that is constantly present in this letter to the Philippians. Paul rejoices. He encourages them to complete his joy. He tells them, let's do this to the joy of the Father. Let's do this so you can take part with me in the joy that we're experiencing. And so the whole time what Paul is coming back to is that a key component in the sanctification process and in the process of living lives worthy of the gospel should be joy. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that if in your strivings to honor and love Jesus and love, want to live this life worthy of the gospel, that you would experience this deep and profound joy. I know that's what I want. And not a joy only after you've attained holiness, not a joy only after you've attained all the boxes that people think you need to tick as a Christian, but right from the get-go, as we know and experience Jesus, that that joy would be just present in every area of our lives. We see that Jesus wants us to be happy. And what's very interesting, and we're going to see this later in the book of Philippians, that the joy is part and parcel the way that Jesus actually sanctifies us. It's within our joy and contentment in God that we actually find our holiness and sanctification. But if you're anything like me, the skeptic in you should object. How can this be? <laughs> Do you not know how tough it is to be a Christian? Do you not know that we are called to suffer as Christians and that we are to die to ourselves for the sake of the gospel? Do you not know that we are to fight sin daily and to strive to live lives worthy of the gospel? Do you not know that life is hard? I had this moment this week where our whole family is sick. Janina is sick. The kids are sick. Um, there's millions of things to be done before the weekend. Uh, relationships are difficult. Marriage is difficult. Sermon needs to be done. And in the midst of this, I'm busy with a sermon that teaches how God uses sanctification to produce in us joy. And I'm thinking, how does this work? I'm just not seeing it right now. Life just seems to be tough and intense right now. How is God using the sanctification process to give us joy? Is this really true? And I had to consider who was writing this letter. Paul the Apostle. And so Paul, as he is writing this letter, he is sitting in prison. And it's not the nice type of prison. It's not, let me not be xenophobic, but it's not a nice prison. <laughs> it's more South African prison vibes. And as he is writing this, he says the following, um, or let's say this, he's not writing this from some comfy theological college, theorizing about the Christian life, what it should look like. No, he's living it on the front lines. And then he writes this in verses 17 and 18. Read with me on the screen. Paul says, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
And so Paul is using imagery to describe his impending execution. Like an Old Testament drink offering that will be poured out as he gives his life in service of spreading the gospel of the good news of Jesus, he says, I am glad, and likewise, you should also be glad with me. And so we'll be unpacking this, especially later in the book, especially in chapter 4, but this is what I want. I don't know about you guys, if we're on this journey of sanctification, I want to be like Paul in the sense that my external circumstances don't determine my internal joy. I want to be a person that is marked by joy even though there is suffering present. We're not here to preach wealth and prosperity that it's always going to go well with you, but in spite of what's happening around you, we want to be people marked with peace and joy. Think about this journey that we're on, the destin- or the departure and destination point. We're on this car heading towards Cape Town. If we take Paul's example in his life, he's driving there, but he's not on the N1. He's on the back roads, and it's rocky. And there's potholes. There's guys that he's got to evade. There's hijackers. There's mud. There's wind. There's rain. Things are going crazy around him, and he's, he is in his Volkswagen Beetle. You know, he doesn't even have four by four, but he's trudging trudging along. He's going along. And I can see how crazy it is outside of this car, but then in the car, I can just see Paul sitting there, chilling, maybe window open, arm out of the window. I wish I was Pastor Sabu that I could continue singing, but uh, this isn't going to work out. It was playing differently out of my mind if I started the song. But he's there full of joy in spite of what's going on around him. And so today's passage and the rest of the Philippians will kind of reveal that to us. How the gospel speaks into our heart and not just into our external circumstances. And this is how it happens. Three things I want us to see from today's passage. How do we do this? How do we embark on this journey? What is the strength that we get? We know Jesus is the motivation and the model, but how? How do I start? Secondly, what should our heart posture look like as we embark on this journey of sanctification and holiness? And thirdly, what is the end result? How does God use our sanctification? So let's jump in. How should we do this? Read with me verses 12 to 14. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, sound not, <laughs> English bundles, so now, <laughs> not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think if you've been a Christian for a while, many of us maybe feel only the weight of the expectation to live a life worthy of the gospel. We're sometimes crushed by the knowledge, knowing that we need to be transformed. We actually need to live lives that are more holy, reflecting the image of Christ. 
knowing that we need to bear the fruit of the Spirit, and yet we are daily confronted by our own brokenness and sin, as well as the sin of others, as well as the brokenness of the world, and as, long, as well as the temptations of the world that draws us away from Christ. And so all of this kind of speaks into us, and we just feel overwhelmed and wondering, how am I going to live this life? Because it feels like I'm failing every day. feels like I'm never getting this right. There might be a pattern. You put discipline in. Well, this week, I'm going to read every day. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to talk about other people. And you get it right for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, something happens on the road and it's gone. Everything's out of the window. The week is gone. And it's so easy to become despondent, tired of trying to live this life of expectation, carrying this weight of expectation. What's interesting is to see how Paul encourages them to keep on obeying. He says, therefore, meaning in light of what I just told you guys, in light of the example of Christ, in light of of the motivation of Christ, be obedient much more now in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul just reminded us that we are saved in Christ. How do we then work out our salvation? Well, it means what the church needed to hear is that they need to be constantly working out or reminding one another what it is that saves them. Wherein lies your salvation? As Paul just shared, is it within your effort within your good deeds, within your holiness, or is it within the cross, within the grace of Christ that he freely gives upon you? And this is the starting point, how they can start to live different lives if they recognize that fact that they are unable to change themselves. They are unable to live holy lives. No, they are to be reminded daily that their salvation does not lie within them or their own good deeds, but rather within the good life of Christ. Not by trying to have rules and regulations govern the way we live. So don't get me wrong. (laughs) Let's not use this as, as an excuse. There's still wisdom. There is still obedience. There's still things that we should and should not do. That's why Paul tells them and encourages them, be obedient. But the way that we are obedient is by reminding ourselves who we are in Jesus. Sons and daughters. And let that truth change our behavior. Think about if you were to adopt a 14 or 15-year-old boy. He grew up in children's homes and after that in various foster homes, and it's not a great history. Um, he, He had a tough time growing up. And finally, you as a family and as a parent decide to adopt this boy, and you invite him into your home. Probably, my guess is there'll be some behavioral challenges with that boy. Why? Because he's struggling to trust that anyone really loves him. And so by acting out and being disobedient, he's trying to prove that fact. In fact, you actually don't like me. You actually don't love me as a father. And we're acting out and acting out. Now, as a parent, we still need to discipline him. We still need to have obedience in the household. So what do we do? How do we encourage this boy to live more in line of the rules of the house and this household? There will be some rules, there will be some expectations, but the way that we do it is not to force more discipline, force more rules, because that's never going to convince his heart. 
What that boy needs to start to believe is that he is truly the dad's son. And so the way that the father goes about his business, or even the mother, is by constantly reminding the boy, you are my son. There is nothing that you can do that will disqualify that fact. There's nothing that you can do that will make me love you less. And over time, slowly, hopefully, by God's grace, that boy will start to believe that this is true. And it's that truth that will help him start living a different life as a member of that household. Family, that's our hearts. We have orphaned hearts. We still crave fulfillment and acceptance that we think that we can find in the rest of the world. And so the answer for us is not to try and discipline and force our hearts into submission because it will never work. It is working out our own salvation. It is being reminded that we are accepted sons and daughters of Christ merely by the fact of God's grace. And allowing that truth to dictate the way that we live our lives as well. This is what we need to do personally. This is what we need to do in community. And here's the good news. Even that fact of reminding ourselves that we are sons and daughters of Christ is not entirely up to us. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Christian, take heart. Your sanctification, your holiness is not even rooted in your obedience, but in the work of Jesus Christ. And not only that, God is working in you to remind you of this glorious fact. He does this through his spirit that will constantly just call you back and remind you there is a God that loves you. Go back to God. Get back to God. He does this through the gifts that he gives believers. And one of those gifts is the church where we stand here, where we have our smaller groups and community, DNA groups, missional communities, where we remind one another, don't try and just be better. Rather, do you know that Christ loves you? Do you know that he gave himself for you? We need one another. We need the spaces. We need this reminding and God gives this to us. <laughs> this is not in my notes, but it really reminds me of the scene in Lion King. I don't know if you guys, if this is a different generation, but Simba runs away and he basically lives like a hippie with, a, <laughs> with this warthog and a, a, and a meerkat. Okay? Like a hippie. Just shirking all responsibilities, Rafiki comes, knocks some sense into it, and there's this scene where his father talks to him and he says, Simba, remember who you are. You are my son and the future king. I can go on and quote the whole movie, but basically, <laughs> <laughs> that's what God is doing for us in his spirits and through the church and through the gifts. Remember who you are. Remember what I created for you. And that changes us. That's how we will be able to do this. We all know that we are to live different lives. Now the question is, what should our heart attitude be as we are being transformed into this image of Christ? That's the how. Now for the what. Read with me verses 14 and 18. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. And verse 18 says, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
It always amazes me, especially if you look at the life of Jesus, how much God is more interested in the disposition of your heart rather than by your actions what you can give him. Because God knows it's out of the disposition of our hearts that actually our actions come. We are always concerned just with how a person acts and not always with what is the disposition of their heart. This is often the, world, the way that the world views Christians as people that simply need to please God. God is this weird God that only wants holy people and once you're holy, he's happy and he leaves you alone. This is not the message of the Bible. <laughs> the message of the Bible is that God wants your heart. Once he has your heart, he knows out of that comes changed behavior. And so how we go about this, our heart attitude, the disposition of our heart actually matters. If, if we simply live lives that are different, but we do it so begrudgingly and so grumbling and constantly disputing, we actually don't, God doesn't have our heart. And that's what he's after. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. And so it's safe to say when you look at the context and the rest of the letter that this definitely has to do with our own heart posture, but not just towards God and not just towards one another, but especially towards our spiritual leaders, those people that God has placed over us to shepherd us. Let's be real for a moment. No one likes being corrected. Amen? <laughs> there is no one that enjoys positive feedback, <laughs> constructive criticism. It's a, it's a painful experience realizing once again that I'm actually not perfect, that I need help, that I need outside input. And so when someone comes and gives that to us, it's difficult to respond in the right way. Even though we know we're a work in progress, even though that we actually know in the long run this is good for us, in the moment it's difficult to accept correction and to be pointed back towards God. That's why, because it's so difficult, it is so important to be in a space where you're surrounded by people that you actually trust. That you trust that they have your best intentions at heart and you allow them to speak into your life so that the growing process wouldn't always be one of grumbling and disputing. If you do not trust the leaders at Red Door, I would love for you to grow in your trust. I would love for you to get to a place where you can get to know and actually realize that what we want here is just the best for you. However, if you feel like you're not arriving at that place, we want to love you so much that we even want to help you find a place where you can submit to leaders, where you can be at a place where you can trust the leaders that are set over you. This is how important it is because this is how God is actually speaking to us. We need to be in healthy and good relationships, especially with leadership. Well, one thing we definitely do know, that being a leader in the church is difficult. It's different than being a leader in the business world or corporate world. Bearing Christian leadership means that you first and foremost have to be confronted with your own sin. You first and foremost have to accept more correction. First and foremost, you are called to serve rather than to be served. That means that the love and sacrifice that you often show to the people will go either unrecognized or unnoticed. That even the fruit of your labor will probably never be seen in this life but only the next. 
And so it's already hard enough to accept this position and really love the people around you. And what Paul is saying, if this is the context, let's make sure that we don't make it even harder by grumbling and mumbling and disputing. What he isn't saying is that we're not allowed to have disagreements with one another. It's not a dictatorship that's running. But it changes the way that we actually disagree within church. One thing that it definitely means is that we don't talk behind one another's backs. It actually means, and we spoke about this last week, that we engage conflict. As I have a difference of opinion, because I respect and love and submit to my leaders, I'm actually going to go and chat with them about that. I'm actually going to engage about the topic. And at times, when we can't reach consensus, and a decision goes against your will, I will choose to submit and not grumble for the sake of the unity of the bubble, for the sake of the unity of the body. God uses this form of sanctification actually to help us and to humble ourselves. Family, here's the irony of it all. Humility produces peace. And it's within peace that we have contentment. And it's within contentment that you'll actually only start to be able to enjoy life and the joy of things around you. We're going to get to that in chapter 4, so I'm not allowed to say anything more. Last point, we're almost there. To what end? How is God using this sanctification process? Read with me verses 15 to 16. He says, so that... that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Here's the amazing thing that we keep on seeing happening over and over again how God uses one thing that we think this is only for me and this is about my life and how he's producing holiness and sanctification, how he uses that process actually to benefit a lot larger group of people. Even though we're each on a specific journey with God and on a road to be sanctified, God uses that journey for his glory but also for the benefit of the people around us to believe the gospel more and to let our lives reflect that. God uses that process to witness to the rest of the world that he is, in fact, the word of life. The mere fact that we are running this race, that we are trying to live lives in light of the gospel, means that we shine in a dark world, obsessed, a world that is obsessed with personal gain and benefit. Family, this will make us stand out from the rest of the world. If we actually, in fact, do live lives that we want to honor God with, we actually don't even have to try to be that different. You will be different from the rest of the world because our end destination is different. And so the goals and the things that we feel important for our lives will be different from the rest of the world. If you want to see a practical example of how this is playing out right now somewhere in the world, go look at the Christians in the country of Ukraine. Go read up on the articles. So many pastors and families decided before everything and before everyone was forced to stay, decided to stay behind, knowing that it would very much cost their lives. But they said that people would need to hear the gospel. People will need to be encouraged in this time. Go listen and go see the pictures 
and the videos of Christians gathering in subways, subways and on the streets, singing hymns and praying together, giving hope to the rest of the people when it seems like all is hopeless. Just by the mere fact of them clinging to Christ, they are shining in a dark time right now. They definitely need our prayers. We definitely need to support our brothers and sisters, but we can see every time when crisis hits, it's especially in a time of crisis when our true colors are revealed. Maybe it's not true right now, but it will happen in our lives as well. It will happen within your circles. It will happen at a workplace where a lot of people are retrenched. It will happen when calamity hits a family. It will happen when there is death within your circles. It will happen when friendships break up, that people will be at a crisis point. And the question is, how will you as a Christian respond? It's in within that response as we hold on to this word of life, not unto our own good deeds, not unto how good we are, but unto the message of Jesus that people will clearly see there must be something more. I promise you, when you get horrific news, you do not want to phone your financial advisor. That's not where you're going to get comfort from. You actually want to speak with someone that you've been able to see their life and see a kind of steadfastness as they cling to Christ. And hear me again, this is not us living perfect lives and the perfect life as the witness, it's rather the continual coming back to the gospel and holding on to this word of life. And so, family, ending with a question, is there a difference between your life and the people around you? If there's no difference, if we don't see any difference between just the posture of your heart, the things that you enjoy, the peace that you experience as a Christian, if there's no difference between you and the people around you, it's either one or two things. One, you might think that you're a Christian growing up within the circles of Christianity, but you actually never came to faith in the gospel. You actually never came to fully accept and recognize that this is something that I need to be a part of, that I personally need to take a decision with. Or it might be that you think you've done that, but you don't fully understand the gospel yet. You still have that orphan heart where you kind of think you're in the house, but I've got to prove myself. I'm not accepted yet. It's not been signed the legal documents that I'm now adopted son or daughter of Christ. I still have to prove my worth to Jesus, and one day he'll say, okay, you're good enough, get in. If that's where we are right now, then our lives will look very similar to the rest of the world. And so it is my prayer, it is my vision that we as a family would want to give our lives for what we privately would understand that the gospel owns my whole life. I pray that my, in my own life and my role as a husband, as my role as a father and my role as a pastor, that it would become clear and that I would wholeheartedly only hold on to the gospel so that we all corporately might understand this and live this out so that I can say as pastor of Red Door, <laughs> With Paul, that at the day of Christ, we did not run in vain. We did everything we could to reach the destination. But not just to reach the destination, but to live our lives and the journey to the full. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a God not just of one day and of ifs and buts, but rather 
You are a God of unconditional love. You are a God that is present in our everyday realities. Father, we don't know where everyone is right now in their lives. We don't know what people are facing and the questions that they have and the scenarios and circumstances. And as we discuss the, the heat of life, the level of the noise can be turned up pretty high and then it's so difficult to really hear and trust the good news of Jesus. And so we pray this morning, even as we all suffer to some degree the syndrome of having an orphaned heart, we pray that we would be able to hear the gospel, that we are accepted sons and daughters of Christ only through faith in Jesus, only by grace. And Father, we pray that that magnificent truth would not only change us so that we would be holy, but rather people marked by joy and peace and contentment. Father, we pray that, and we thank you that we can meet in this venue, but this is a tool. This is a cool pit stop. But tomorrow the real fight begins as I'm sitting in traffic, as I'm dealing with a difficult co-worker, as I've got expectations and studies in a year ahead. We pray that in those moments we would hear your voice and we would hear the voice of our brothers and sisters for your glory and our benefit. Amen.